Welcome to Deed and Truth, a podcast exploring loving God and loving our neighbors, not just in words, but also in actions, and with the Bible as the source and standard of truth. I'm your host, Tommy Morris. So recently, our pastor, uh, Pastor Pat Howe, preached a sermon about love and was talking about our love for God, Uh, actually talking about our love for just numerous things. Uh, But he challenged us to change the word love with commitment. And when you do that, it can definitely change how you think about things. Uh, in, a, in English, we do not have all of the words that say they did in Greek uh, to describe love. So for us, we, you know, you may hear somebody say, man, I really love pizza. Or man, I really love football. You know, but then you would also hear them say in the same day, I really love my wife. And nobody is going to immediately think they love their wife and pizza equally, that that expression of love holds the same value or weight. Uh, But in in the Greek, they would have different words to describe love uh, so that there was not any confusion. Um, For us, it's more of an an understanding context thing. Um, But in Pastor Pat's challenge to replace the word love with commitment— uh, it made us really think when we say, I love God. And then you would say, I am committed to God. Okay. Okay. So the hard part comes when you ask this question. Is there anything I love more than God? Well, most people, I mean, if you put them on the spot, if you say, hey, You love God more than anything else? Oh, yeah. I love God more than anything else. But then if you said, are you committed to God more than you're committed to anything else? That's a different question. I mean, it's the same question, but it definitely sounds different. And it makes you think, is there anything in my life that I show more commitment to than God? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this week as I share an interview I had on modern-day idolatry. This interview, as I share an interview I did with Pastor Randy Pittman from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Navarre as we talked about modern-day idolatry. Check it out. In the studio with me today, I have Pastor Randy Pittman, pastor of Coastline Calvary Chapel, Navarre. Randy, welcome to the studio. Great. Thank you for having me. So I sent out a list of topics, and uh, Randy had one that kind of highlighted for him that he was interested in. So today we're going to actually be talking about idolatry, and we're going to be looking at what it looks like in modern times even. So Randy, I think when you say idolatry, there can be some preconceived notions as to what that means. People might not think of it in modern terms. Right, right. Most people think of idolatry as, uh, well, you know, we've seen in the movies where, you know, bring the the young woman to the volcano and (laughs) sacrifice, you know, bow before the the temple statue or or so on, you know. Maybe people who've grown up in the church, we would 
look at idolatry as this kind of Old Testament thing, or or maybe some in the New Testament. You know, we mm-hmm. you know we still see it there, but we look at it as well. That was kind of the Bible. I mean, surely that's not today, right? That's an old thing. Like, people don't bow to statues anymore, do they? I mean, <laughs> but then um, maybe maybe if they did bring it into modern times, they would it would clearly be something somewhere else, some Hinduism, sure. Buddhism, something where they're bowing to statues. I saw it in India. When I was in India, they have huge statues that they bow to and bring uh, like vegetable, fruit and vegetable offerings to and things like that. Right. I looked into, you know, the, the Murti, I think is it, is it pronounced Murti or Murte or Murtai? It's the, uh, the statue, uh, all their statues of deity, they believe it's the deity taking on a solid form. Ah, okay. Yeah, so they have they have them all the temples there. Yeah, so the one with all the different arms. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one of them. They yeah, have lots. Yeah, I saw that one while I was over there. There was a big monkey one. Okay. That was, yeah. yeah. Right. So I mean, they have I think millions of gods. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. they do. I think it's like thirty million. Yeah. Deals. Which side note, they're willing to bring Jesus in, right? Because he just becomes one of a million sure, or sure. multiple like the Ro- millions, like the Romans did. The Romans right. would do that. Yeah. I mean, God takes idolatry very seriously, and there are commands against idolatry. We're going to talk a little bit more about what idolatry is and get into that a little bit more. I, I think you kind of like brought up a good ground too, because we we got people intrigued, like, you know, <laughs> so where are they going with this? Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> All right. So we, we are going to look at scriptures and we're going to look at what the word of God says about idolatry, how God views idolatry. But first, let's talk about what, Randy, what is idolatry? Idolatry. You know, from a biblical standpoint, from my standpoint, which... Well, go ahead. Let's go yeah. both. Well, uh, I mean, from my wording, I would say I have to line up with Scripture, of course. But from my wording, it's it's what I put my time, my treasure, my heart in. It's where I align my focus and my dependency, my reliance. Well, last night, I was actually thinking about us recording today, and, and that was what kept coming to my mind was time, talent, treasures. Yeah. If I look at where those are predominantly aimed, I can look at what I worship. That's right. I can see very clearly what I worship. You can. So. You can. It, it kind of defines it, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. We talk about you know people with the mindset of, oh, it's old school, and it's people bowing to these large statues, and that can be it. Even in modern times, it can be sure. these graven images, these carved sure. images or things. You know, like we saw the description in Exodus, we see that, them talk about these actual images, these actual things. Right. Or in Daniel with, yeah. the, with the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, that's a big one. But it is more than that. Uh, so, so I found Colossians 3 interesting, verses 5 through 6. So in Colossians, Paul said, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Mm-hmm. So right, right out of the gate, we're not talking about some statue on the mantle, right? We're talking about something in you. And so he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So he he brings idolatry in to a bunch of things, (laughs) to this list that are within us. They're issues of the heart, right? So idolatry is more than just this idea of bowing to a statue. Because it comes from within us. I think that's where it begins to form, and then we materialize it with our hands, what the Lord warned us uh, about in Exodus chapter 20, you know. Yeah, and I mean, that. yeah, that's similar to like when Moses went up and And they, Aaron melted all the gold, right? It was, the idolatry was already in their heart, right? right? The the golden calf was just a representation of what was already in their heart. Right. See, that's not something that people think about. I mean, I think that that most people think that they're influenced by some sort of outside Mm. force that presses in upon us. And then we either, uh, we cater to it or not. 
you know, but but you're right. It, it comes forth as what uh, yeah. Paul was writing to the church in Colossae about. So yeah, and it's yeah. even you know what comes out of our mouth is what defiles mm-hmm. us. So it, yeah. it all goes back to what's in our heart, you know, and then him saying this, this is what's in you. So we'll we'll get more into maybe what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, I do want to look at kind of what the Bible says about idolatry. Yeah. So the Bible has very clear commands and warnings against idolatry. Probably the most common one that most people know is is right in Exodus in the commandments given to Moses, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. And then it goes on to to talk about that carved image and, and these descriptions of a of an actual like item that you're bowing and worshiping. And and that's probably the most well known. And I think that's maybe part of why people look at it as that kind of old thing, right? Because mm-hmm. this is probably the most uh, well-known in regards to, I guess, the stereotypical view of an idol. Sure. But there are other warnings. Paul, again, warns us in 1 Corinthians ten fourteen to flee from idolatry. He was referencing the idolatry of their ancestors and how Israel had consistently given themselves to idolatry. And he was given this warning you know, and this was an example so that they would not desire evil as their ancestors did. And then he even warns them, you know, take heed when you think you stay unless you fall, you know, take heed, like careful. Don't think that you're better than them. Don't think, well, that was them. I'm not going to give into that. Take heed of what's in your heart, you know, and then first John five, there's a plea to keep yourselves from idols. So the Bible is very clear. I mean, it's clearly, there's clearly an issue there because there are multiple commands and warnings. To not just like avoid it, it's like flee, like run away fast, get away from it. We do love our symbols. We do love our yeah. objects. Uh, you know, Israel didn't want uh, God to be a, to be a theophany mm-hmm. for him to be. They wanted a physical king. So we do we do like that. Typically, the objects that we will form they define something that's really of immaterial or right. uh, you know, like uh, as you read from. Again, from Colossians three, what is what is idolatry? It's uh, it's actually covetousness. It's an ideal. Mm. It's a pattern of of thinking and, and a drive uh, that becomes an idol. I mean, yeah, in Galatians five, you talked about that. Paul lists it as one of the fruit of the flesh. Yes, and the when I looked up the Greek word, it was image worship, literally or figuratively, mm-hmm. but it was ultimately placing the desires of the flesh above God. Right, and so. Right. We were talking kind of beforehand some about humanism and self-worship. So this is where this, the heart of the matter kind of comes into play. Like this is something birthed in our heart and ultimately, and I'm going to let you speak to this. You, you said you just recently, recently uh, preached on this actually, that uh, this idea of humanism of self-worship, that, uh, that this kind of umbrella of all of our idolatry comes back to really us idolizing ourselves. Right, right. Yeah, you know, um, I, was, uh, I was recently in teaching through the book of Haggai. Not, not a typical book for people to go through <laughs> on a Sunday morning. But, right, but there yeah. was something very relevant to today that centered around what we're talking about in humanism. Hmm. They, they were released from Babylon. They were given freedom to go back and, well, occupy the land and build their temple. And but yet only 50,000 even went back, hundreds mm. and hundreds of thousands. They stayed back in Babylon in prison, like, you know, there. Wow. They were come more comfortable there. Well, yeah. that's a whole nother uh, message <laughs> right. right there. But then the 50,000 went back. They went back like, you know, like gangbusters. You know, they were like preparing the land, preparing mm. the foundations. I mean, it was just an amazing work that was going on. But Haggai was brought to the scene and as mouthpiece of the Lord to, because they had forgotten 
they started the foundation and then mm. they they got sidetracked and it just it, it laid empty the foundation of the temple was incomplete and the the wording was they were too busy with their paneled houses right <laughs> <laughs> you know they were the cedars of, cedars of lebanon had 70 years to replenish you know and all up on the hill and everywhere else and uh instead of coming back and using that to build a temple mm. to worship god they were paneling their houses and so i i was thinking about how relevant that is today and it isn't necessarily a, a church building or, or what have you, but it's our focus of the Lord. We start mm. out like really worshiping the Lord, and He's everything in our lives, and and uh, and He's the reason why we live and we breathe and have our being. And then it's not it's not long before you know it's soccer practice for the kids, mm. it's soccer travel, and we don't go to church anymore. And you know mm. what? It's not a priority that we fellowship with God's people and that we put our attention full on to Him. And here, here these were good. These were good people, though, yeah. like in Haggai. These are the ones who left. Yeah. to go honor the Lord, right? So they're good people. They Well, good in the sense of as good as man right. can be, <laughs> right. right? And yet they just got off track. And as believers, I think that happens with us. We get off track and, and what's, what starts to become a treasure for us is no longer the things of the Lord and the, and the eternal things and of the kingdom and on our heart as Jesus, you know, will will share in, uh, uh, where is it, in Matthew chapter 19? No. Matthew chapter 6, yeah, it's in the yeah. Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, and beginning in verse 19, where he talks about, do not lay up your, for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your, where your treasure is, there is your heart. I think that's what, what happened then. To the people of Israel, and I yeah. think what still happens to the people of the church today. Yeah. And, the, and the interesting part, right, is that we're not talking about them intentionally creating an idol right. that of, that's something evil right, right. or satanic, right? right? And and I think that we would say we could see that today, right? Sometimes sure. yeah. the thing in, in itself is not a bad thing, but the act of elevating it to a place of importance yes. above God that's the bad part. Yes. And, right. and I think it's most dangerous because, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't bowed down to any idols lately. No. I haven't no. You know, brought a sacrifice in to some other god. Um, nope. Nope. I haven't uh, done that either. Matter yeah. of fact, I don't. I really don't see that happening around me in our society. And yeah. even if you go to, well, that's debatable on Bourbon Street, but... Um, <laughs> But you, but you know, you go to some pretty yeah. rough places, you still don't, that's not the, the overall temptation, but where the temptation right. to draw us off is for those things that are seemingly good things, like job and career and children, and that begins to take our heart. But wait a minute, I'm supposed to love my family and provide. Yes, mm. you are. And you're supposed to take care of your children. Absolutely, yeah. you're supposed to take care of your children. You're a steward for them, right? right. You have them for just a few years to take <laughs> right. care of them and, and raise yeah. them up in the way they should grow. But it, it be, they become an idol if they become our sole focus and tent and uh, where our heart is. Yeah, and I think this is the danger when you think about Satan coming as an angel of light, right? Yeah. Like if Satan, Satan's not going to show up at the middle of the sanctuary or the middle of your home right, with this right. goat head and go bow to this, right? right? You're going to be like, yeah, that's obvious. I'm not going to do that, right, right? right? But if Satan can distract you, uh -huh. if he can use all the things of the earth, all the things of the world, all the cares of the world to distract us and take our focus off of Christ, yes, then he's winning. I mean, yes. in a sense, he's doing what he wants to do, which is to keep us from worshiping Christ and to extend or expel our worship towards something else. Yeah. You know, right. matter of fact, I, that may have been 
the 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 psychology and the premise behind Satan's attack on Job. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, well, of course he worships you. He's got, right. Look at his wife, his things. family, yeah. and all these. You know, you know, but you you're protecting him. Why don't you go ahead? Pull 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 those things away. Yeah, and, and, and that would be a huge test for us on what our <laughs> idols are, right? You know, if things started getting touched, are we rocked to the core? Are we shaken? Is our faith yeah. shaken, or do we stand firm in that faith? And that, that could be a big test on what we worship in our life and what our idols may be. It sure so, can. It sure yeah. can. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a father of three little boys. Well, one of them's not so little. He's <laughs> big as big as me. I have a 15-year-old. I have a uh, 10, about to be 11, and an 8-year-old. And... These uh, little boys, you know, I, I, I love them. Man, I, lo- I just, I, I love them. I love watching them grow and pouring into them. And they can be your, not just your heart, but your full life. And, and, uh, and to some extent, we're, we're called to love and to raise them up. And it's a good thing. But yeah. as we were talking before, we were talking about idolatry and, and how it comes in these angel of light-like forms. When you think of Abraham being told to take his only son and offer them uh, at what mount moriah it's a horrific thing like i have three boys i'm like why would god ever want that we know the end of the story jehovah jireh right. you know he holds it's easier for back. us right yeah right <laughs> but but if you think about the innocence behind abraham creating an idol from isaac god had promised that he would bless him that all the nations of the earth would be blessed by him and through yeah. him through his seed and yet he was a hundred with no kids. And so here comes, here comes Isaac, and, and Isaac is the fulfillment of that. And I think it's easy for us to see the end and try to make it happen. Um, as you brought up, Ishmael came up in, yeah. the, in that process before Isaac. Yeah, showing the idolatry in his heart early, yeah. that the, the, the promise of, of Isaac, he had yeah. already started to kind of hold that in an idolatrous place. Like, what that, was the like, satanic worship yeah. there? Oh, yeah. you shall surely not die. Well, no, this is good. This will yeah. bring an end to what God promised you, right. Abraham. Listen to your wife on this. You know? <laughs> right. And he said, let me think about it. Okay. Yeah. You know? And, <laughs> right. uh, and so, so then Ishmael comes about. And this work of the flesh doesn't bring about God's plan. It yeah. causes problems and a thorn in their side for, well, even to this day. And, and then so then Isaac comes about. Uh, this is a, the, the promised son. So why not like just love him to death, <laughs> protect him, <laughs> protect right? him from death? Right? This is right? the future yeah, nation. Yeah. We have no, to protect him. This is right? God's answer. Yeah. And so the answer becomes the the idol. And God's like, well, well, wait a minute. No, I'm the one that's you know I can give you fourteen hundred more sons. You know, yeah. you, you need to put your eyes on me. Hey, Dad, get your eyes on me. Dad, yeah. Mom, get your eyes on me. And so by him offering Isaac up and being obedient to that, God said, there you go. Your heart's where it needs to be. I, I love Isaac. Don't don't touch him. I've, I'm going to provide this sacrifice and brings out the ram from the thicket and such. But like, but I think that's kind of where we are so, like you said, so innocently duped by these uh, by I- idolatry around us, paneled houses, our bodies. Uh, I'm the temple right. of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you go to CrossFit right. and you realize very quickly that these guys are really good shape, but I think they may have a, an infatuation with uh, their PRs and yeah. uh, the bodybuilders yeah. with their, their yeah. bodies, their image, you know? Yeah. And I'm a health guy, and I'm, well, no, I don't eat healthy, but I, I'm, I exercise quite a bit. Well, <laughs> I try to stay in shape to fight my age, but eventually it'll win. But, it but, busts us all. But I can get, you can get driven. We get driven. Mm-hmm. I've been in yeah. the triathlon world. Oh, yeah. My brother did those. You know what most, um, what I've heard from the, the detriment of the Ironmen competitors, mm-hmm. they say it usually costs their, their marages. Unless wow. Unless their spouse does it with them. 
Wow. It usually costs their marriage because they are training, you know, sometimes four to six hours a day yeah. or more. And, and it becomes, it becomes their, their God, their idol. So it's interesting. I'd, I'd want to kind of dig into this just a little bit more yeah. because who some of these, uh, these are sensitive, I'd say sensitive top, <laughs> I don't say top, sensitive uh, areas of our lives. It's so like the kids thing is, you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about that and you know, it's, it's wild. I, I read Vody Bauckham's Family Driven Faith and in it, he talked about, he talked about our kids and raising them up mm-hmm. and, and how he just doesn't understand how parents are so confused when a, when they're 18 to 22 year old walks away from the faith or from church. Right. And you know, what he says is we've created this culture where we put it on the youth pastor Mm -hmm. to raise our kid and teach them the Bible. It's true. And we as parents don't really take the lead on that, that we should. And then on top of that, we do what you were talking about earlier sports, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this competition and this travel and that tournament. And all of a sudden we can't come to church on Sunday because we have a tournament. Right. And that becomes the, the overarching, you know, priority in the kids' lives. Mm -hmm. And so what he says is by the time they get to college, you've already taught them that their academics and their sports are more important than God. Right. And so why are you so surprised when they get to college and don't go to church and walk away from God, you know, because we've idolized our kids and then taught Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. to idolize whatever that thing is that we're enabling them to do. Well, man, Satan is a sneaky serpent. And uh, let me take it one more step forward. Then I'm Uh going to bring it home a little bit to me where it's probably not going to be received uh, amongst pastors, but ministry becomes an idol. So that's on the other side, like family, family becomes your idol. Uh, or ministry itself becomes your your idol yeah. or your identity and who you are. Mm, well, yeah. I'm a pastor. No, you're not. You're a child of God. You know, yeah. you're a Christian. You know, um, first, and so it becomes uh, where ministry is either it's flip it. Yeah, it's just a job, and you cl- you punch a clock, or it becomes your God. Like mm. you know, there's an extreme. We we oscillate because yeah. we're extreme. Humans are extreme. Yeah. It seems like you know we pendulum swing back and forth, and we oscillate. And uh, that's been something that I've talked to many young pastors about that can be a struggle and uh, making your, your God, your, your ministry. And I've seen it with people who, who, gosh, this is hard to say too, who worship the Bible, but not the God of the Bible. It's this, the letter of the law, the written word, the written revelation, you know? And so you have people who, who preach the Bible and they're right, but they're dead right because they don't know the God of the Bible. And so... Um, that's where it becomes dangerous in so many different levels. Like, who would have right. thought that those kind of things can be idolatrous in your yeah. life and you miss the God who created you and loved you and died for you and is right. with you, you know? But uh, Warren Wearsby, he wrote a book with his son, Elements uh, of Preaching and Teaching, I think is what it's called. And he bounced these two worlds out. He talked about the importance. And it was kind of you know good because he's doing it with his son. Um, but he talks about exactly what you were saying. He said that if we go on one extreme, then ministry's just way down the line. You know, you have to your your family is most important than anything. Then what you're telling the church is the church isn't important. What right. you're teaching your children is that it's not a ministry's not a priority. And yeah. don't expect what, like you said, what happens, yeah. what happens. But the the other extreme is if ministry uh, is everything and family is nothing. I, mm. I had a, a psychology professor in, in college who hated Christians. 
he hated us, man. He hated, and I was mm. a brand new Christian, and he would just single me out and tar and feather me every chance yeah. he got. And and uh, in private, one day he told me that his parents were missionaries and uh, left he and his brother with strangers his whole life while they were out saving the world. Okay, so what priority they set said that he didn't matter. Yeah. He wasn't important. And uh, so there was no priority there. That's the extreme. So Warren said that if you show and demonstrate your commitment to the kingdom of heaven, that it's very important, then your family will understand when, when ministry calls. But then likewise, when you show your love and your commitment to your spouse and your children that God's given you, then when the family calls the church will understand. That's good. And you're setting a priority for both. That's really good. And uh, anyway, I think that can be, that's one word I think we could define idolatry in a lot of ways, priority, right? Yeah, it is. And uh, I mean, you've <laughs> you've talked a lot about, even offline, you were talking about the, the actual symbol of the cross, right? Like right. these things that are part of our faith, you know, and we can make them more than Christ can right like we can we become offended or obsessed over these things you know and make them the focus as though they hold the priority right so that's intense yeah <laughs> well yeah probably just through a curveball with the, with the bible i gotta clarify yeah. i'm i am as you know i'm a word of god guy yeah i mean i i teach the word of god verse by verse chapter yeah. by chapter um it is god's inherent word it, it's, yeah. it's god breathed i love god's word it's our standard we yeah. stand on so don't misunderstand me right i think it's more of the the guy who kind of maybe is as dogmatic about that as he would be about another textbook sure or history book oh, or sure. something sure. else sure. to sure. where it is all of this knowledge and it is right it is knowledge about god that's right with no application and no relationship and, and just truly knowing god and that, not that's exactly never right. living out all of those things facts that you've put into your mind that's exactly you know? where i was so. where i was going with yeah. that you know that i would use the bible and use theology to justify myself when i was uh maybe walking when i was there was a mm. season where i walked away from ministry i walked away from the lord I, I wouldn't say that i would just you know join the pagan ranks or anything yeah. i was still going to church on sundays but it was no priority in my life any, any longer it was uh my job it was making money and uh, and in some vices that I'd picked up, and uh, but I went to church, and when people would ask me how I was doing, uh, well, I, I steer clear of those people I knew would ask me, great, you know, <laughs> the guys who discipled me, right, right. But I could I could talk theology. Oh, right. you want to talk about hermartiology yeah. and sin, and oh, you know what? How about the hypostatic union of Christ? You know, <laughs> like yeah. I was reading the other day, and then right yeah. off the bat, they think, oh, Randy's good. Mm -hmm. He's okay. He's talking spiritual yeah. things. Oh man, you know. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, man, and I've been there. Well, yeah, yeah, because you're a son yeah. of a pastor. So, yeah, I've plenty yeah. of times where I'm like, you want to debate or argue <laughs> or just talk about scripture? I will do that. I can do that. Just yeah. don't ask me about my heart. Don't ask me about my heart. <laughs> right. Don't ask me. Don't go there. Right. I don't right. want to. I don't want to talk yeah. about that. And, and so what I'm saying is, you know, we kind of use the word of God as yeah. uh, it. It's a this deflection because we know it. Yeah. But now when it becomes our everything and yeah. the God of the Bible is no longer a, a factor. It's dangerous. And it happens, I think, with uh, Bible teaching churches. I mean, I think that I've not heard uh, on the screw tape letters that proposed yeah. <laughs> uh, as a, as a tactic. Yeah. Uh, maybe it is, maybe I missed it, but, um, but it certainly would be a good one. And coming from a Bible teaching church mm -hmm. now, 40 or 50, 60 years old, the Calvary Chapel movement, yeah, we have a tendency to pride ourselves on the Word of God yeah. and the Bible. And the Bible, it's 
you know, it became becomes everything to us, and we forget that there's also this relationship with Jesus Christ, right. and this this engaging with God, not just knowing about right. Him, and not being puffed up, yeah. with knowledge. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the Corinthians yeah. they they yeah. struggle with that in in so many ways, and and so we have to watch that. I think pastors have to watch that. Mm. Uh, I think that godly people have to watch that yeah. t- temptation to be wholly consumed with the Bible and not the God of the Bible. Yeah, I know that's yeah. some, I, had, I feel like I had to kind of uh, explain a little more about that when yeah. I threw that one out to you. No, I, uh, I knew where you were going, but I was like, probably need to flesh this one out more <laughs> for, for people because I, I understood what you're saying, like the, the intellect, you yeah. know, and the the pride of knowledge and, and not actually living it out. And, you know, when you, you elevate the fact that you know all this scripture, but right, Christ so, will pierce the heart. So, At the end, is Jesus yeah. going to say, you know, did you know my all my scripture? Right. Could you quote the Pentateuch to me? Could right. you like, ah, uh, yeah. yes, I could. Yeah. I never knew you. I mean, you, you could know? add that in Matthew 7, right? I prophesied, did many wonderful works, and yeah. memorized the entire yeah. New Testament. Yeah. Right. Uh, I never knew you. Yeah, I've met many of uh, uh, men, scholars, professors who knew the Bible way better mm-hmm. than me. I've seen atheists who've memorized uh, large chunks just for the purpose of debate. It's frightening. So yeah, so in this, I mean, we understand it's a heart issue, and I do want to look at, before we end the, the podcast today in our discussion, how God feels about it, idolatry. Yeah, and yeah. there was one that really interested me, and I, I wanted to pick your brain on it here in Exodus thirty four fourteen. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, right? So I think, yes. man... What does that mean jealous. that God is jealous? And <laughs> and I thought about this. So I watched a clip of an interview with Oprah Winfrey and Richard Rohr, the Franciscan monk universalist. And she was kind of giving her quote unquote testimony of when <laughs> things changed for her. And it was that she sat in church and the pastor talked about this. He quoted uh-huh. Uh-huh. this jealous verse God. that God yeah. is jealous and, and it bothered her. I mean, she was young. So Oprah said that when she heard the pastor say this, she left going, well, why is God jealous? Because she just viewed jealousy as this like controlling, mm-hmm. you know, manipulative, right, right. evil thing. And so she was like, God's jealous of me? What kind of God is that? That's not the kind of God I want to serve. And that was kind of the door that huh. opened up her into this universalism huh. and all of these other things because of just her not understanding and not even asking the pastor to clarify what it means. So what what does it mean when it says that God is jealous? Obviously, yeah. it doesn't mean that he's, you know, like that crazy boyfriend who's controlling right. and, and right, psycho. Right, right. So so what does that mean? Well, um, I, I think that there's sometimes you come across phrases and, and words in the Bible that, well, we have a hard time describing. Yeah. We call them uh, anthropomorphic or personify. What is it? personification of God or anthropomorphic mm. terms that we use, we apply to describe an aspect of right. God that that we struggle with, right? Well, especially with that word jealous, you know, because it has such a negative connotation and love isn't jealous, we're told in First right. Corinthians, you know, and, and God is love and love isn't jealous. So yeah. uh, wait a minute, how is that tied in? But when you look at the heart of God and who God is, he's holy, yeah. he's pure, there's nothing of shadow of turning or darkness in him at all. He's perfect in all his ways. And so we cannot compare him to you and I in our emotional state. Because also God can be angry and 
loving and kind right. at the same time. Right. I've never done that. I've, right. I'm either one or the other. Like I can't experience really both of those emotions. Right. So <laughs> when we try to lump God's being using our description, that's a poor way of doing it because we're the ones that are flawed, not him. So I believe that we're jealous, that it's a jealousy that is toward us, not of us. Because when he's jealous of us, it's not like, oh my goodness, oh, he's cheating on me with another God. Right. You know, like, (laughs) I don't know if I can handle this. Right. Like, God's a big God. Like, he's not like, his, his emotion, he's not crushed and insecure because Randy's got this God of surfing or this God of mm. ministry or this God of weightlifting in his right. life. You know, he's not, he's not like jealous of that. Like, Oh, Oh, I wish he wouldn't. I, I'm, I, all I do is just pace the floor thinking about what mm. Randy's thinking about right now, worried and, you know, wanting to call him and no, no, he's not, <laughs> he's not at all. Oh, that's the way I would be right. If it was, if it was my wife or what have you, but that's not God. God, he loves me so much. He loves us so much that he is jealous toward us when we begin to pursue paths of wrong, bad direction, right? So it's not for his own good. Yeah. It's for my good. Yes. Now that is, there's a difference in jealousy when yeah. it's toward me, uh, when, I'm, when I'm jealous toward my wife, not because I'm worried that something's going to steal her attention, right. but I'm worried because it's going to hurt her. And it has nothing to do with me at all. And so I view that jealousy in light of God's concern for me. Don't bow down, make, or worship any other gods because there is no other God but me. That's just, that's a frivolous inroad, you (laughs) know? Uh, It's going to bring nothing but harm in your life. So that's why he's jealous. I hope that explained. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. That's good. So then also in Colossians, you know, we, we saw in the, the one before that we read, um, what we talked about in chapter three about the, the sins within us, the end of that verse says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So if you really looked at, at God and all of his attributes, and you look at this, that idolatry invokes wrath, I think the wrath, the jealousy, the holiness, like those are all kind of interwoven parts of this in God's overall character or his attributes you know they they kind of all stem from that holiness of him and like and like you said of he is the only one true god you know to be worshiped but there is i mean there is wrath that god pours out on this on on idolatry it's not something to be taken lightly and i think that just understanding that and paul again writing in galatians 5 as he listed idolatry in verse 21 says that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god so idolatry comes up in very matter-of-fact terms in paul's writings of it you know affecting uh, inheriting the kingdom of god and facing the wrath of god it's definitely a heavy matter in god's eyes it is Yeah, I don't think that God speaks with hypotheticals either. He's writing that to unbelievers. Oh, wait a minute. No. He's writing that to believers. To to churches. Right. Not something we like to hear. No. (laughs) No. No. So as we're looking at this, if someone's out there and they're having kind of an aha moment, like, oh, man. Yeah, right. You know, you guys have shed some light and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing whatever X, Y, Z in my life. What is our response to this? Once we, once we see and, and the Holy Spirit convicts us and reveals to us that we have created this idol and put something above God, what, what's our appropriate response at that point? Repentance, yeah. turning, turning. When Isaiah was addressing God's people, he was addressing with something they were doing, thinking that they were, uh, they had placed all their 
their their trust and their faith in their ceremonies and sacrifices yeah. and rituals and God God through Isaiah and I think David reflects it in his heart through the Psalms too but that's not what God wanted he wanted a mm. broken and contrite heart and there's this repentance to say hey I, I mean I've been off I mean I'm off I'm off base I'm my focus was not on you it's it has not been on you and yeah. Lord Jesus forgive me and then you turn from that and you turn toward God and so as with first John, Chapter 1 writes, and this is to believers too, that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins uh, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John yeah. 1, nine, His promise to restore us. So we have such hope in this risen, our risen Savior that he is our high priest, he is our, uh, our redeemer, and he is our restorer. And so I would challenge that and say, yeah. hey, let that conviction bring you to your knees and to the throne of grace. Definitely. I mean, step one right there, the call to repentance. And then, you know, after that, I think there are some things that can help. Because I think this, right? Like, what if you think like, oh, casting these idols down, right? Well, I mean, if your idol is your family, you're not getting rid of your family. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of good things in our lives. Or your are... job. Well, I mean, you may have to quit a job. <laughs> right, right. It could be, right? Could I be, mean... Uh, if you're a hitman, I mean, yeah, it's probably well, not a good... <laughs> so, I mean, I think... In your personal life, you moved from a job making a lot of money to, and gone sure. into ministry, right? Sure. Not that it was necessarily an idol, but sure. but there are times where God may do that, right? He may say, eh, this is over here has kind of become too much of an idol. Like, right, yeah. we're going to move you over here, and you're going to learn to have faith and right. trust in me right. for, for yeah. provisions, oh, right? Your so, wife's going to be the breadwinner. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? I don't oh, know about yeah. that. So, I mean, it could be, but I mean— and. In all likelihood, most a lot of these things in our modern lives are, are not things that are going to be removed from our lives. Right. Reprioritize. Yeah. So as we repent, then you know we learn to walk in the spirit. When you look at idolatry listed in the fruit of the flesh, you look at the the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five, and look at that, and learn to walk in the spirit and to set your heart and your mind on eternal things. You. You know, uh, read earlier from Matthew of laying our treasures in heaven, and I think, and actually, I'm actually, I think I'm actually going to be doing a, a whole other episode where we talk about an earthly versus eternal mindset. Oh, cool. uh, at some point, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. But, but to touch on that briefly is that a lot of idolatry becomes we we become obsessed with with temporal earthly things. We, we have an earthly mindset, we and we overvalue the things of this world. And one of the things that can help us once we repent and we walk in the Spirit, stay in the Word, stay in prayer, is to change our outlook from an earthly mindset to an eternal mindset. Yes. Once you look at eternity and truly think about it and put it in its proper place of importance of understanding what we're called to, this earth is so, it's a blip. It Our is. time on earth is a blip. So why would we extend so much of our time, talents, and treasures on a blip and not on eternity? Man, I want to do that one with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a lot to I got a, got lot, a lot to, to say, say about, about that. that. Yeah. That's been a uh, yeah. that's been a common theme in my uh, in my messages. Again, I'm, I'll go chapter by chapter, verse yeah. by verse. But yet, there's a there's a common theme that God's been bringing to the surface for me, and that has been, you know, what we value in the temporal, mm. and and there's lots pulling us right now in this yeah. day and age to these temporal things that hold us, and really they become our our place of priority. So, uh, and not yeah. not being eternally minded. 
Uh, I'm surrounded by death these days. You know, I had a friend kill himself a couple of weeks ago. I have uh, my father passed away several years ago. I have someone in the church who 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 went to be with the Lord last week. You know, um, the longer you be, the longer you become, a, you're a pastor. And the older yeah. you get, <laughs> yeah, 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 it just happens. It's inevitable. Yeah, that you start to realize that this life is so, so short. Oh man, yeah. Like, dude, I, I yeah. turned forty nine last weekend, and uh, in my brain, I'm still twenty something. <laughs> like, my, but my body isn't. Yeah. But the, it, but it's flying by, and I'm realizing that my days are numbered. I mean, I'm, certainly there's an expiration date on this body, but my my days are my days are numbered, and. Uh, and what I'm going to do with this time I have mm. left and what I put my, my focus and my time and my energy and my devotion, well, that's going to that's gonna kind of uh, echo into eternity. Oh, man. As I quote yeah. from The Gladiator. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, well, I'll tell you, I mean, for the last maybe year and a half, it's been, I'd say, something that I was really convicted on, right? That I was too much focused on the things of this world. I mean, my kids... Yeah, but my job, you know, the comforts that I have living here in, in America, and and just being provided for by God, and 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 I kind of took a lot of comfort in all of this, and I don't know, getting into my forties now, um, and then just I kind of think just the way the world's kind of gone in the last right. year and a half um, with everything is is just yes, that thought that man, I mean, the end is coming, you know, it's. It, you know, and I'm not here to be a, oh, end times, uh, no, no. scream. you know, that's nothing like that. But as I get older, regardless of where the earth is, my time is coming personally, right? right. Like I'm not getting any younger. Right. I am getting older. And that, and that, you know, it wasn't an end times, whoa, the world. It was me personally, right. the conviction of me of your time on this earth is short. You don't have a lot of time. What are you doing with the days? Yeah. And it started to change my outlook on what was important. And I, and I started to see the idols in my life. Yeah. And that was one of the things I had to go to my wife, Helena. We talked, we prayed, and, and it was like, how can we start living life differently to where we do not put our ultimate value on things, on, right. on temporal things? So, right, right. Yeah. I, and for me, I've had to come to, the, to grips with that with uh, being a church planter, you know? Planted, planted uh, coastline of R six years ago, and yeah, and uh, and it's a church is an uh, an organism and an, and has organization, yeah. and it certainly has business aspects. Oh yeah. So I'm going to say this ahead of time: it's not a business. But when you are the church planter and you're the only staff, it becomes consuming to yeah. you. Uh, my wife was wearing multiple hats. Oh yeah. Uh, I was wearing multiple hats, and then as we got staff, we started acquiring staff, and then there's the responsibility of staff and payroll, and and as we grew, what Pastor Chuck says, what you strive to attain, you strive to maintain, you know, mm. kind of thing, and and uh, and it wasn't long before it was it was the hardest thing in my marriage that I've had to deal with, and wow. I've been through alcoholism, pornography, yeah. all kinds of stuff that my mm. wife has had to uh, <laughs> suffer through yeah. with me, and uh, and yet. This was the hardest thing in our marriage was planting a church. Pillow talk was coastline, you know. Yeah. Uh, every little moment didn't, you know, was coastline talking mm. about what's going on at the church. Yeah. And the church is a good thing, though, right? <laughs> right. I mean, wouldn't you think putting it your is. focus on the, yeah. on, on the work of the mi ministry and such is yeah. a good thing? But it, it can become consuming mm -hmm. and dangerous. Yeah. And in the end, 
that's not what what I'm going to be, you know, at the Bema Sea yeah. judgment. Is it going to, you know, that'll probably be one that won't even make the mark. A survey says mm. planting a church. <laughs> oh, wait, no, right, that's way right. down there. Yeah. Right. Um, but it becomes something that's just so yeah. consuming. But, but if yeah. I were to die tomorrow, what am I doing today that is showing my purpose in my heart and my my adoration and it can't be on the works of mm. of man and ministry it has to be on my my love for the lord you know so in thinking of the church the the one eternal thing is the souls right, right. so the two things with that one is that, that i just thought is the logistics mm-hmm. can become the focus yeah. of keeping it running or right, right. getting to the next one right the next church right. plan or what are what are right, we going to do right, now? Right. And it can be, how do we minister? But then we lose sight of the eternity of the souls that we're pouring into yeah. because we were too consumed of the logistics of how we're going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. and so sometimes the message, the, the true heart of the message could get lost in that. Um, but then also for you personally, right, is that when you stand before God, we will give account for our out of words and works and all of these things, right? But ultimately for you, one of the main things isn't is going to be your walk with Christ, right. and that can't be substituted with. But God, I poured into yeah, all right. these hundreds of people, right, right. you know, thousands of people over the years, and it's okay, right? But where's our relationship? That's right. Good Man. stuff, Tommy. That is good. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check us out every Monday for a new episode, as I have a new guest in here to talk about loving God and loving our neighbors. Also, be sure to check us out for Freestyle Friday as we talk with our guests just about what God's been doing in their life lately. You can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends. You can connect with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Deed underscore Truth and on Facebook and YouTube by searching The Deed and Truth Podcast. You can also check out our website at deedandtruthpodcast.com where you can check out the latest episode, connect with us, send us a message, or even leave us a voicemail. All right, well, thanks for listening, and until next time.